Aloha and happy day or evening to you. My name is Mel and I am the hostess of this podcast, the Single-Handed Knits podcast. We have an audio podcast now as well as the blog, which is www.singlehandednits.com. And also on there you will find the video podcast. Today, I'm hoping that as you're listening to the podcast, you will be up for a bit of a treat. Not only do you get to hear our special guest today, in her own words, describe so many interesting things, but I've set up a slideshow on the blog for you to sit and watch rotate through as you listen. I've asked our guest to collect a series of photos of where she lives, things that she's created, both with, well, I don't want to give away with what crafts she's involved in, but um, things that make her uniquely who she is. So if you are just listening to this by way of the iTunes feed or a prompt that you've gotten aside from the podcast, I encourage you to head over to the blog and look for the Wanderings of Wednesday post and listen and look and enjoy today's podcast. Well, I won't keep you any further. Here is today's episode. Episode four. Well, aloha everyone. I am Mel and I am so glad that you are taking this time to sit with me today and chat. I have a friend who is kind of quiet right now that I'd like to introduce you to. She is a joy to be working with. She is someone who, uh, as I follow her on Instagram and I follow her blog, I am just moved to to see the world, to go and visit, to, to learn more about people and, and appreciate um, differences. And to that end, I thought it would be just so much fun and so inspirational for you all to have a chance to hear in her own voice from Kate. Kate, could you say aloha to everyone? Aloha, everybody. <laughs> um, I'm Kate Carter Evans. Um, I live in Shanghai, China. Um, I've been living in China for about five and a half years. Um, I am a knitter and a dyer and a spinner and a weaver and I sew. Um, I have a little yarn company called Infinite Twist. Um, and my dad is a woodworker and he is the, the, the person behind the uh, Acadia wheel and loom. Um, so he builds spinning wheels and looms. And that, that in a nutshell, is, uh, is my little world over here in the East. <laughs> A little, I'm chuckling because there's there's so many things you do, and in addition to all those things, you <laughs> have a really interesting blog. Um, today, oh, thank you. Today, I was I was looking on uh, the blog as well, and you just missed the was it the yellow ferret or the yellow? What was it? It was it was a yellow squirrel. You were trying to take a photo of? The yellow weasel. 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 I was thinking ferret weasel. Okay. So if people are now intrigued, they need to go to your blog, which I am going to have linked. But for our listeners, can you give us your blog address? 
Sure. It is www.infinitetwist.com forward slash blog. Very good. All right. The question I think that begs to be asked right now is how in the world, if you don't mind, how do you knit and do all the things that you do in China? Um, you're an American. <laughs> I know that, um, that it, you know, it, it's a completely different culture. And um, I'm just wondering in a day, if you want to go out knitting or in a week, let's look at a week for you because you don't go to knit night and shopping at the local yarn shop and all these things all in the same day. So could you tell us just what your world is kind of like over there? Oh, sure. Um, so there, there's a lot of knitting that, that happens in China, but it's, it's kind of funny because it's, it's a very different mindset around knitting. Um, and so like, for, you'll you'll see people knitting kind of out in the world. Like there's, okay, so I, I kind of need to back up for a minute. So the, the place where I most often see people knitting is actually at the fabric market. And so Shanghai doesn't have like a, a fabric store that you'd, you'd kind of think of um, when, when you think of what a fabric store is like in the U.S. Mm-hmm. What they have are these gigantic buildings full of individual stalls. And the stalls will each specialize in something. So within, and there's, there's two, like within Shanghai, there's two big fabric markets and then a bunch of smaller ones. Mm -hmm. But at the two big ones, there'll be like probably 20 or 30 people that are all selling silk, 20 or 30 people that focus on wool and cashmere, um, you know, a bunch of people that do cottons, people that do knits, but like, there's no place that you can go if you need like a little bit of bias tape. But um, (laughs) the people when I'm at the market, the people that manage the stalls, a lot of them are knitters. But the things that they're knitting, like the, the goal of knitting over here is, is for your finished thing to look like it was store-bought. And so it's, you know, people are working on, I, they've got to be like triple zero needles oh, with like wow. kind of nas- nasty acrylic at these tiny, tiny gauges. And, and they just fly through it. It's it's some kind of lever knitting technique, but oh. it's so fast that I've, I've honestly... I've never been able to tell what exactly they're doing, but they've, they've got one needle kind of hitched under the armpit and then they're just flicking along with this crazy fast throwing technique. Um, oh, yeah. So it's, it's, it's kind of funny, but so like it's, it's really confusing for people as to like why you'd want to spend more than like a dollar or two on a ball of yarn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's just like you, you do this for fun. Like, wait, I don't. <laughs> yeah, so it just it doesn't compute. And like the, the kind of funny story behind this is that I have a friend over here who um, she's originally from Singapore, but she went to college in the US. And um, she had just moved back to China right when I moved here. And so we would get together and knit and spin and, and have a real it's just wonderful to have a, a knitting buddy over here. Mm-hmm. And she um, married a Shanghainese guy. And as kind of a welcome to the family president, her new mother-in-law gave her several pairs of hand-knitted long underwear. Oh, wow. Holy yeah. Cow. Like seri- <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's a much more utilitarian approach to knitting rather than kind of a creative outlet or, you know, a way to make something really beautiful and luxurious that, that you want to wrap up in. So then for you... You probably don't have the um, 
as we would think of a knitting group, you probably don't have that, or do you? Or did you, did you create it yourself? It doesn't sound like that's something that most people would be a part of. Well, it's it's kind of funny because the the thing with Shanghai is that there's there's as I think at last count there's 23 million people that that live in the city and its and its surroundings, and. Of that 23 million people, there's, I think, I think it's a couple hundred thousand foreigners. Mm-hmm. So it's, this ends up being a very international city. And, oh, okay. and I have a lovely, lovely little knitting group over here. We've got a <gasps> couple of Americans. Um, we've got, we've got a couple, we've got a German lady, we've got an Italian lady, and, and then a couple of younger Chinese girls that are, you know, a little more bohemian, a little more out there, um, you know, and and so we it's it's a fun mix of people mm-hmm. um so it's 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 interesting because like there's there's enough of a population of people from other places that you do get to see um some of that sort of international knitting flavor mm-hmm. there's there's also a ton of charity knitting that happens here there's um there's a group here um called the Shanghai Guild and they um they knit squares and put them together to make afghans and make little bears with sweaters and then they sell those around christmas time to raise money for an organization called heart to heart um that pays for heart surgery for kids that need it oh my Um, goodness so so there's there there's definitely some knitting culture here but it's in in a way it's kind of coming from outside Mm -hmm. um at, at least the part of it that I'm more involved in. Um, but then the, the native Chinese knitting culture is, is definitely its, its own thing. Well, you're involved in a lot of things. You have your knitting community. It's uh, home for you now, you said, for the past six years about? Yeah, five and a half. Okay. So going back, say five and three quarter years ago, (laughs) what was going on in your life that picked you up and moved you to a completely different, fantastic, I'm sure, but different culture? Um, it, it was my job. Um, I used to work for a uh, very large sportswear company that um, happens to have a, a big hub of an office in Portland, Oregon. And um, I'd been working there for a number of years and got to a point where I wanted to move up in my career. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of one of these things where I was, if I stayed in Portland, I was really going to have to wait my turn like for probably at least in a couple of years, mm-hmm. or um, they had an opportunity where I could sign a two-year contact, contract um, and move to Shanghai and work for them there and get the promotion that I wanted pretty much immediately. Um, wow. And, you know, I kind of looked at the looked at the offer and, and said, well, you know, are, are you going to let me bring my cats? And, and they said, sure. <laughs> and so they... they um, they moved me over with um, basically the way that they work it is that when you're moving internationally, they um, they give you a, a pound mm-hmm. limit and then they put all your stuff in a shipping container and then you get on a plane with your suitcase and you land in, in your new posting and then you're going to see all your stuff two to three months later. Right. Yes. We've done that many times. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure you're quite familiar with this process. Um, and so we we arrived in January of 2009. Um, 
I moved over here with my sweetie and then we got married over here. Um, and the, the job ended up not being quite what I wanted long term. Mm-hmm. Um, so left toward the end of my contract. And then um, while all that was going on, um, my dad had been working on his spinning wheel design. Mm-hmm. And um, I was doing trainings, uh, hand spinning trainings for the, the Qinghai Spinners Cooperative um, for a, a yarn company over here. And it just kind of, a bunch of things came together and it just seemed like it, because I'm, I'm over here, um, and I've got access to all kinds of factories and suppliers and all that kind of thing. Um, it seemed like it would be really possible to do something, um, with the love of fiber and with his wheels. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. Um, the, the whole process just happened really organically. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was, it was initially my job that, that brought me over here. And then, um, yeah, so far it's just, it's, it's a, it's up to this point, it's, it's been a really, really fun adventure. And okay. the, it's kind of like the, the only downside is that the, the thing right now is that over the last probably nine months, um, there's been a huge um, issue with with air pollution um, in Shanghai, and so like the the index goes up to 500 parts per million, mm-hmm. and there have been a number of days where we are like above the index. Oh um, my goodness! Yeah, and so like if if I I if you're going out on a day like you really are supposed to wear like a filter mask anytime mm-hmm. you go outside. Yeah. Um, so that that is really a bummer. Um, oh, but sure. like, <laughs> other than that, I really just love it here. So, so what are yeah, some as, things aside from the, from the air apocalypse? <laughs> the air apocalypse. We will definitely get to talk about knitting and fiber and such. But just because it's it's a place that most people are not going to be able to spend time like you in Shanghai. Um, so we aren't going to have the um, advantage that you do of, of understanding it um, and really appreciating it. For those of us who probably won't make it to Shanghai anytime soon, can you describe what it's like to live there and get around there and just kind of run us through, you know, you've lived in America, you lived in in Portland and, you know, Portland's a very, um, I think a very biking and walk around friendly city. Um, can you kind of compare and contrast where you've lived in the past to Shanghai as you describe it and just kind of give us a, a personal look into, um, your city now? Oh, sure. Um, so Shanghai's really funny because despite being just absolutely massive. It's, it's really a city of neighborhoods. And some of what drives that is that very few people own cars. And there's a, a, a beautiful, modern, very clean, very efficient subway system. Mm-hmm. So a lot of what governs um, where you go outside of your little neighborhood is which subway line you're on. And, and that's, that's how most people get around. Mm-hmm. Um, but the 
so the part the part of the city that I live in um, is is referred to as as the former French concession. And so what what this is is that um, before China threw out all the foreigners um, after the the end of the Opium Wars, um, before that happened, um, many of the European powers had areas within Shanghai itself that that they ran as their own territory. Territories, mm-hmm. um, and and you can imagine that that the Chinese did did not particularly enjoy this. <laughs> so the area that used to be run by the British has been completely wiped off the map. Um, but what's what's referred to as the former French concession is still there's still a lot of old architecture um, that's that's in the area, and it's the. There's trees everywhere. Most of the streets are lined with trees. Mm-hmm. So in the summer, things stay pretty cool, but it's, it's really green and lovely. Um, and the, because most people don't have cars, um, there's the, the scale of the city is very manageable for walking, mm. that you're, you're never more than a quarter of a mile from a place where you can get fresh vegetables, from a fruit stand. Um, so it's, it's very manageable in that context. Um, and you know, if, if you, if you want to get from point A to point B and you don't want to take Metro, um, you're generally taking a taxi Mm -hmm. and the, the taxis are, 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 it's, it's pretty fun because, um, they're super (laughs) aggressive and they, they drive like crazy. So it's Um, like being in New York city or being in Manhattan. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and, and the cabbies are hilarious. You know, they, they, a lot of them, um, you know, will want to talk to you about stuff. And uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're really funny. And like the, a, a lot of them w- will kind of practice English with you. Oh, and, yeah. and it's, it's pretty cute because like the, the first thing that, that they say when, when they figure out that, the, that you're American is they say, oh, Obama. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's like the first thing you hear. So it's, it's pretty funny that, you know, I, I imagine that, you know, a lot of, a lot of cab drivers in the U.S., if you ask them, you know, okay, who's the premier of China? They probably wouldn't Don't know. know. Yeah. But, <laughs> but the, the Shanghai East cab drivers know who the president is. I think that's funny. So most of your, um, your way about Shanghai would be by foot. And if you're going to go and do something further away, you'll take the metro or the subway. Um, um does it feel like a, st- I mean, as you talk about the trees lining the streets, it kind of kind of sh- shifted my thoughts of the city. Um, you know, you usually think of it, a, a city as being a, a bit sterile and um, more modern. Um, can you kind of describe the vibe that Shanghai has? Oh, sure. I mean, I think that Shanghai is, it's a little bit, it's very different from, from other Chinese cities because there's been um, such a, a large presence of foreigners here for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's, it's much more international that you can, you can get by here um, speaking very, very little Chinese. Like if, if you make an effort to be able to say hello and thank you, and I'm sorry, I don't understand, like people are really willing to work with you. Um, so it's, you know, and it's a very approachable city. I mean, a lot of life here happens at street level, um, that 
because you, there are very, very few like single family homes here. Mm -hmm. Um, pretty much everybody's living in an apartment as, you know, as you're closer into downtown or in, um, it's, it's pretty much all multifamily dwellings. Mm -hmm. So, um, particularly with like some of the older, older houses, um, the the kitchen facilities are really really basic and so people will often just cook outside and their kind of kitchen area will be like all the all the chopping and the prep will just happen outside and then they'll take it inside to cook it and then they'll come back out to eat it so people are on the street a lot and in the summer um it gets really hot here it's just like horrible humidity and and like over 100 degrees for days at a time and so people will um, take like kind of lounge chairs, mm-hmm. um, like, like what you'd think of as like a pool chair mm-hmm. and they'll just put them outside on the sidewalk and, you know, be chilling out there with their, their green tea and, and talking <laughs> and playing cards. And, um, at night th- the lounge chairs will, will fold down into a cot and people will just sleep out there because it's, it's, just, so it's too hot. unbearably. Hot. Oh yeah. my goodness. Wow. So it's, it's summer, summer, it gets pretty intense. I'm like, it's, it's starting now. I got my first mosquito bite of the season yesterday. So. <laughs> Do you have a favorite season there? Um, I really like the fall. Um, fall and winter are just absolutely, absolutely lovely here. Um, you know, it gets, it gets pretty cold in the winter. Um, but the, I'm, I'm a huge sucker for street food mm-hmm. and, um, the there's just some really really delicious steamed buns mm. um that particularly in it, like my favorite kind of sidewalk scene here is like in in october when it's it's just getting cold you'll be walking down the street and the fruit stands will have these huge displays of persimmons so it's just oh this my. sea of orange and and they've got the the fuyu persimmons and then the the other kind that i can't remember the name of so they're they're all different shapes and different shades of orange and then it's cold enough that the the steam coming off, uh, so the, the buns are all done in these like humongous bamboo steamers that are mm-hmm. probably two feet across. And then each tray is about four inches high and they'll have like 10 or 12 trays stacked up and th- they'll open the top and the steam just comes pouring out and. And, you know, they're, they're full of, you can get them with like spinach and mushrooms in them or mm, with pork good. and, and it's it's just like when it's cold out and and you've got this delicious steamed bone thing that's that's great and then right <laughs> after like when it gets really really cold the next street food that comes out are these guys that have like if if you imagine like a big um like a 50 gallon chemical drum mm-hmm. so they take those and then inside they put a whole bunch of charcoal and then little layers of, of racks have been welded inside the thing. Mm-hmm. And they take sweet potatoes and slow roast them oh my inside goodness. there. And and they're huge. And like when it's really cold, it's perfect because you, you get two small ones and you put one in each pocket of your coat. Oh, and then they'll yeah. keep your hands warm and then you and then you have a snack afterwards. Yeah. So. That's brilliant. Oh my goodness. So yeah, fall fall winter. So you're feeling like that's my favorite. So it just sounds like you're smiling the whole time you're talking about it there. So this has really become your home. I mean, for all intents and purposes, you, you um, you're feeling like it's it's very much homey there. You, you're comfortable and pretty confident as you are out and about. 
Well, it's, it's kind of funny. Cause like, it's, it's been a process that the, when, when, when you plan to move to a new country, like you, you don't know what's going to be a challenge. Mm-hmm. And like the, the thing about living over here is that it's your, your day is made up of a series of, of small challenges. And the part about that, that's really nice is that when you figure out a solution to one, like you've got a solution forever. And this, I know this is little and silly and like, you can totally file this under, under first world problems, but like, I, I really like half and half in my coffee. (laughs) Amen, sister. (laughs) (laughs) And and there, there is no half and half in China. It just, it doesn't exist. And so like, I went through this process because like you can get with cream but it's 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 had thickeners and weird stuff added to it so for a while I'd like I'd get whole milk and and add whipping cream to it and kind of try to make my own half and half but it just it, it just didn't work and yeah. it was it's it, oh, just unsatisfying and um <laughs> funnily enough one of the the ladies that reads my blog I was I was complaining about this on the internet which is just so embarrassing because it's just such a it's, it's like such a little problem but she's like have you, have you tried evaporated milk mm-hmm. and I, I got myself a can of evaporated milk and, and it's perfect. I, I like it better than half and half. And the thing that's really great about it is that because it's in a can and it's shelf stable, if you get six of them, you're never going to run out of half and half. Um, <laughs> well, Kate, we, um, we can't complain because you and I are so far away from each other and you are having your Friday morning when I'm having my Thursday night that a, a dropped call here and there is still nothing um, when you consider the fact that you and I are able to even sit and talk. But we did lose each other there for a moment, and you were sharing with us how um, when you find a solution to a problem now, it's kind of a lasting thing that sticks with you, and, and you were sharing with us the <laughs> the fun story about your half-and-half. Um, half. <laughs> but if you want to pick back up from... From there, we can continue on about things oh, sure. in your things in your day that um, that you seem to find ways to to kind of work around. Hello again. Hey, hey, there you are. Oh, okay, you can pick right back uh, up. Is it okay if I just pick? Okay. So with within within the community of Americans, it's um, people are really friendly, and when they're going back home, they'll often let you know, hey, I'm going to be in whatever city, you know, do you need me to bring anything back for you? Um, and so then, you know, when, when you're going back, you return the favor. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's fun because, um, you know, people will have their, their favorite coffee brand, mm-hmm. you know, so it's like, can you, can you bring me a pound of coffee? Can, can you bring me this kind of tea? Um, you know, I'd really like to get some bread flour, you know, those kinds of things. Um, and so it's, it's very much, um, a, a community where people take care of each other mm-hmm. um, because since, since nobody has family here or, or, or very few people have family, um, you, you kind of become each other's extended family. And um, it's, you know, when somebody has a crisis, you know, there's, there's a very, a very good safety net. Um, mm-hmm. Just because I think that when, when you're around other people that live far from home, mm-hmm. um, 
it, it just naturally develops. Um, and so there's, there's just some amazing, amazing examples of, of community that have happened over here. You know, on, on the flip side, people, you're, you, you constantly have to be making new friends because, um, people are, are moving away, you know, oh, there's yeah. new people coming in and people going out. So it's, um, it's an interesting place. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm super spoiled from a craft perspective. Um, because in, in addition to the, the fabric market that I mentioned, there's also, um, an entire trimmings market that it's four floors of buttons and lace and zippers and feathers and sequins and rhinestones (laughs) and it's, it's, it's out of control. And yeah, it's, it's, I, my dream is that is that it's at some point I'm I, I would love to be able to set up a situation for, you know, if, if knitters happen to be in Shanghai, I just want to make a map of like, this is the oh. market you go to. These, <laughs> these are the 20 best stalls and have fun because oh the, the selection of stuff is unbelievable. And and the, it's the and the prices are so reasonable. It's it's just really fun. Mm. So, yeah, it's China's crafter heaven. <laughs> and you are a crafty lady, so you are probably just living it up there, lucky thing. <laughs> now, <laughs> yeah, I'm really spoiled. Now, I am very, very thankful because not only do I know you and I have the pleasure of interacting with you, but I also have some of the beautiful work of your dad's hand in the um, my first treadling spinning wheel and it's as I sit and I look at it and I I think of you and I think of your dad I'm reminded of the fact that you have a very rich crafty heritage so if you don't mind as we shift gears from the busyness and the excitement of Shanghai can we go and and talk about your roots Um, your earliest memory of of being crafty and being exposed to craftiness and, and talk for a, a little bit about your family, because, um, I know that that kind of, it, that's a very rich, your heritage is, is just steeped in mind blowing craftiness and craftsmanship. <laughs> well, yeah, this, this is again, one of these areas in which I'm just Un- unbelievably, unbelievably spoiled. Um, so my um, my grandparents on both sides, um, just lovely, lovely and amazing people. And my mom's parents um, lived in Hood River, Oregon. And my grandmother on that side, my grandmother, Grace, um, she was a spinner and a weaver. And um, one of my earliest crafting memories was actually it's it's a little funny because she i think was was on a mission to turn me into a weaver from a very very early age <laughs> um she also was a gardener and so she grew um bearded iris and had a whole special plot just for her iris and she had them all <laughs> labeled and i remember sitting outside under this gigantic mulberry tree um, it, they had kind of a small, I, I guess I'd call it a hobby farm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, they, they had sheep and chickens and ducks and there was a pony. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she, she set me down with a bunch of, um, the leaves 
from her iris plants and was um, showing me how to weave little mats out of them. Oh my goodness. And she got me set up with um, a Brio loom, which is a little wooden loom. It's probably got about a six, six or seven inch weaving capacity. Mm-hmm. And um, she had retrofitted it with string heddles. And um, basically, she could just park me with, with that little Brio loom and a bag of yarn scraps. And, and I was good to go for hours. Oh, wow. Um, and she she taught me to spin. I have a little ball of yarn that um, I, I I can't really say that I made it because I was I was sitting on her lap and I was so little that she was doing the treadles for me. Mm-hmm. But she um, put her hands over my hands and was was helping me learn how to spin. Oh. Um, yeah, so she, she's a lovely, lovely lady. And um, one of the things that was really nice about having. Um, a corporate entity uh, move me over to China is that I have her floor loom um, with me here in Shanghai. Wow. <laughs> and, and it's, that's, that's the loom that I use for doing all my, my big weaving pieces, the rugs and blankets and stuff. Um, I, I do on that loom. How, how um, big is and it? Then, can you describe it for us? And maybe we can actually insert a picture um, on the blog, but. Yeah, I will definitely send you a picture. It's it's probably about the size of a baby grand piano. Um, it's got about a 42-inch weaving width. So mm-hmm. the loom itself is probably about 50 inches wide and then another 40 or 45 inches deep and then 50 or 55 inches tall. Wow. So it's 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 a beast. It's um it's made out of oak, so it's really nice and heavy. Um, and so it, it doesn't, you know, try to scoot around on you when you're really, really thwacking at a rug. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a lovely loom. And I'm sure moving it from place to place is quite a task. <laughs> oh God, it, it makes me cry every time. And like one of the things with, with living over here is that, you know, you, you can sign a lease on an apartment. Apartment and, and the lease actually means nothing. We've lived in five apartments in the five years that we've been oh, here. And and this is n- this is not by choice. Like every time we've been like, okay, we're gonna be in this house for two to three years and we're not gonna have to move the loom again. Uh, <laughs> and, then and then it's surprise. Yeah. Oh. Surprise. Yeah. But you guys are pros now. So, oh. Well, I've we've we've got a moving company that we really like. And at this point, <laughs> you know, we've used them every single time. So so they kind of know what's coming. And yeah. Yeah, I, I, we, we've got it down to a system, finally. <laughs> so then the earliest memory that you have of a craft would be weaving. Is that, yeah. is that safe to say? Okay. So how did you then fall into knitting? Same way, same grandmother? Um, actually, so I, I started out with crochet. Oh. Um, my mom taught me to crochet when I was probably six or seven. Mm-hmm. And um, like one of my early entrepreneurial <laughs> endeavors, um, I used to charge people in my elementary school class 50 cents for crochet lessons at lunch. <laughs> That's <laughs> um, awesome. And <laughs> so, um, you know, I'd make little blankets for my dolls and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I didn't actually start knitting until I was in middle school. Um, oh, a late, I, late I start learned. there, huh, Kate? <laughs> Your parents were probably just <laughs> <And> mortified. I, <laughs> just oh my kidding. gosh, horrified. This late bloomer. Um, 
but I learned wrong because I, I learned from one of my little middle school friends and I was twisting my stitches uh, oh, okay. on, on my on my rows. And it wasn't until like bless the local yarn stores because they, they are just out there saving people day by day from their their own terrible mistakes. Uh, I, I at one point brought a piece of my knitting into a local yarn store because I really wanted to learn how to do socks. And I was just adamant that, you know, I was I was going to learn and I was going to do it. And I and I showed her my knitting and she's like, oh, you know, this is great, but this is a technique that you might not want to be doing all the time. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, you know, I got the, it, it was right after uh, folk socks had come out. Um, and so I started, started working through those patterns. And, uh, and yeah, then, then it was off to the races with the knitting. So you knit and you crochet and you weave and you spin and anything I'm leaving. Oh, wait a minute. You also dye. <laughs> Mm-hmm. When did you start that? Was that um, once um, you moved to Shanghai, or has that been something you've kind of played with in the past? Um, I I started I started doing that primarily in college. I got back into spinning um, uh, when I was in college, and um, this this was in Portland, and so I had access to lots of different fleeces because with with black sheep happening in Eugene, Oregon, mm-hmm. you know I could go down there and get some fleeces and, and then just kind of work on them over the next couple months. And um, I started I started doing like really like pretty basic um, dyeing of my own hand spun, mm-hmm. um, but you know I, I was you know basically you know I'd get the dye packet put it in the pot and then just throw the yarn in and then it would be one solid color. Um, I didn't really start playing with multiple colors and, and hand painting um, in, until I got to China. Um, and so that's, that's been something that I've been working on. And it's, it's kind of funny because I'm, I'm still using the same, uh, the same dye brand that, that I started using in college. Like, because, you know, at this point I know their color card so well um, that it's 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 easier to get the color idea you know out of my brain and onto the yarn. Well, friends, that's the first part in an interview that I've broken up for you all with Kate. Kate has a lot more to share about her incredible love for dyeing, as well as just an empowering part of Infinite Twist. I can't wait for you to experience her love and sincere heart behind her business. And I look forward to sharing her with you in the next segment. So until then, my best aloha is to you and take care.